Thanksgiving football week is behind us. Only two more weeks until fantasy playoffs begin, and Kyron Williams is back with a vengeance. We'll take you through all the charts and relevant data here on Stat Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> this is why. This is why I'm hot. Anita Handjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. <laughs> Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you Tony? You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally this boy. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just a couple more weeks to go, Draco, till we're uh, into the playoffs, get to see how all of our best ball teams shake out and, and the real sweat begins. Yeah, just uh, two more weeks to go, and I guess um, main event, uh, regular season is behind us. Um, so we are, we are definitely in, in the late, uh, or in the end game of the season, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's still, I, I want to say, like just a touch too early to kind of start doing the post-mortem type stuff and, you know, uh, doing some look back type analysis. But I think it's also right about the appropriate time where we can start that way too early look forward, um, you know, maybe to what next year's best ball drafts are going to look like. Only prime time to start discussing playoff best ball and all of those fun contests, um, which I'm sure we'll we'll tease out. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're twelve, we're twelve fourteenths of of the way true to, true to the normal, the regular season. But then each individual week in in uh, in the playoffs ends up having its own like outsized meaning. Like it has this it it new like greater importance in, imprinted on everyone's brain. Like I, for the life of me. I can't remember which random wide receiver went nuclear in week 11, but I'll, I'll never forget that Mike Evans out of nowhere had the massive week. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's funny that you bring that up. Cause that was something I was going to talk about um, later today. I won't spoil the spot that I was going to bring up that specific phenomenon uh, with respect to, but I really, I was thinking about that in the context of we pretty much get like, I want to say it's the first, three weeks of the season or so and that's just so vividly imprinted on our brains of like this is what these players are we have three weeks now that's enough data surely right that's going to tell us what's going on and so everyone gets this idea of this is what these players are and that really carries a disproportionate amount of weight for a big chunk of the season and then you kind of get like you're talking about you get that vividness bias from what goes on at the end of the season and in the fantasy playoffs right and then of course the the real life playoffs you know you you still get a little bit of that trickling over and so the guys that do their best work in this kind of middle stretch of the season oftentimes i feel are are forgotten a little bit so it's important to just you know kind of remain balanced in your analysis and make sure that you're not overweighting you know, performances that came at a specific time of the season. Yeah, agreed. Like, it's funny because obviously we are, when you're drafting younger players or, or players that are injured the start of the year, that, that that's sort of what you're playing for. But in the absence of that, there's literally like, if, if, if it's like a third or fourth year or, or older player, like there's, a, there's just literally no, no difference uh, football wise, obviously outsized importance money-wise but yeah it's just how much you go ahead 
how much can you really control for getting that outside right. production in those weeks where it matters, right? And, and like you mentioned, really the only thing you can do to control for that is, well, I'm going to draft a bunch of rookies because their production historically has increased as seasons go go on. So, yeah, and and obviously you shouldn't. Um, you, it, this is to me overwhelmingly obvious that you shouldn't. Uh, logically, you shouldn't oh, estimate a player's value to be better just because they had the week 17 game. Like that 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 shouldn't that that should only be viewed in inside the context of like the whole season rather than oh they had the, the week 17 spike week this is a spike week player like yeah it, no I, go I ahead the pertinent analysis you can do with respect to that is more so like what shape a player's specific distribution curve takes like there are some players that are certainly more prone to having their production in big bursts right those those spike weeks that were after and there's guys that are, are more likely to be the steady Eddie type performers, which, you know, and, and I really, I think this is a, a part of analysis where, you know, certainly people have talked about it, but, and it, it almost got, you know, memed to death with, oh, player X is better in best ball. But I actually think that's pretty important analysis. And it's something where I won't, I won't tease too much of it, but I'll probably be writing a, a little bit about that this off season. I think that people haven't turned over the correct rocks yet to figure out how to exactly uh, classify players as better in best ball versus better in redraft type players. But a guy that I, I was discussing with some people in a discord chat today uh, is Rashad white. Uh, and the perception of the people I was talking to was oh, Rashad white is going to have a huge advance rate. This guy's crushing. Got to have a massive advance rate. Right. And while his advance rate is good, it's not close to the absolute league winners, you know, like Keenan Allen or Mike Evans or, you know, guys like that. Even even Devonna Chand, who has missed a large number of weeks, has a better advance rate than Rashad White going just a couple rounds after him, even, you know, just a round in some drafts. And so they're basically going in the same place of the draft. But a Chan has such a better advance rate. And it's because of the way that Rashad White scored his points for you. You know, Rashad White gave you awesome consistency, which in a redraft league, like if you drafted Rashad White at cost, you're so happy with him. You you literally didn't have a decision to make after like week five. You're like, that dude's in my lineup. I don't I don't think about him. Um, but in best ball, he's good, but but not uh, what people would think. So I am. One of the things that I, I, I often wonder about or, or question is like, are, are we actually good at predicting that point distribution ahead of time? And my, my, my sort of thought has, has, has been not, not always, um, especially, I, I mean, with running backs, I think it's a little bit easier. Um, like you, you can probably expect that this, the guys with, with that are going to have really high expected points, but you're pretty confident aren't like stars that that's probably a, a good profile for like not a or, or a bad profile for those spike weeks and 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 and, and uh helpful distributions but i i do often i do often wonder like just because they had one season where big week little week big week little week is that is that truly like a predictor for good is yeah, awesome question. And I'll tell you, this is like 
true disturbed degenerate behavior for why I've looked into this. So I had a league. It was a work league that I was in like, gosh, probably close to a decade ago at this point. And they had some funky scoring settings, one of which was a big play bonus. You get, you know, plus three points if a player has a play that's over 40 yards. Um, and so I went back and did like some back testing to try and figure out like, is there anything that I can come up with that's more predictive for, you know, what players are going to give me these big splash plays, but I also need to be able to attach it to their overall fantasy production. Like it doesn't really help me if Rashid Shahid gives me a bunch of 40 point plays, but he's not startable except for in like two weeks. Right. That's like a best ball type of right. play. Um, and so I did come up with a metric purely for this stupid work league um, that I think I'm going to be flushing out a lot more this offseason and do, taking a little bit more of a rigorous approach to it. But I will tell you that I found a little bit of year-over-year stickiness with the kind of crude approach that I took uh, the first time. So I'm I'm excited. In to the play-by-play play data, there yeah. is um, players who, who catch – long in, in your example and players who catch uh deep passes that 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 that's that's predictive and and, ho- and and i mean hopefully helpful for spike weeks and um, because i i still i i still wonder um and i maybe i'm i'm, I'm sidetracking us too much here uh, but i still wonder if like that is still a better and best ball overall uh production because you can have it's like you said you can have uh, somebody who they, they get a bunch of 40 point plays but if those are spread out sort of like evenly or or uh, not not all clustered into one or two weeks like that's still like a that's still a kind of a steady point distribution yeah i'll tell you what i was looking for really was kind of a baseline of production with having that indicator that i came up with on top of that and so those guys that met those two criteria became players that in this first uh you know expedition to to find this metric um those are guys that i moved up the rankings in in this specific right. format. so that that is interesting that is interesting um and uh, with that probably a good idea to uh kick into these uh into these charts and so first chart as always qb passing and efficiency or see uh passing efficiency and rushing production and on the horizontal axis we've got adjusted yards per attempt which is like normal yards per attempt but rewards touchdowns and punishes interceptions We've got touchdown rate on the vertical axis, and then we have the size of the bubble corresponds to rushing yards per game. And I, I feel like I, I, I sort of open this with this every week, and it's that this is at this point a pretty steady chart, and it, it, even small movements are sort of notable, um, because we've got i guess we've got 12 weeks of data in here and and, and sort of th- th- this should be what we know about each player i guess w- where it can come in most handy is where when uh, when we have n- or at this point in the season when we have new players who we who, who've only played a couple of games such as Tommy DeVito um and who, who looks to be actually honestly sticking out here as a sort of like negative regression candidate 
Yeah, I definitely, I think Tommy DeVito is a, a pretty prime negative regression candidate. Um, hasn't looked very good. Did manage to get those two touchdown passes to Saquon a week ago, which I certainly think is boosting uh, his TD rate there above what's going to be sustainable for him. He did have a, a couple nice looking throws to Jalen Hyatt, um, you know, deeper down the field, deeper a dot, um, you know, outside the numbers. So definitely harder throws um, to convert on. But I just think um, more, more than anything, it's not something I'm like super excited about this season, just because I don't think there'll be very many opportunities for this to be relevant or something you can take advantage of. Like, it's going to be pretty hard to want to roll out like Jalen Hyatt in DFS or something, right? Or e even in like a, you know, a battle royale type draft. Um, I, I guess maybe if we have one more giant showdown slate this year, which I haven't, haven't looked to see, but if we do, I guess I'll be potentially overweight on Jalen Hyatt if he uh, comes in reasonable. But yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing super useful or actionable there. Um, one note I, I have. They, um, they played a Packers on uh, Monday night, December 11th. Okay. Uh, well, bummer. I don't even know if I'm going to play that showdown slate. I'm, <laughs> flying, I'm flying back from Miami from the Dog Bowl. For so, I know. Someone, uh, I mean, shit, I won't have my PC. I can't run my, my model. So, uh, you know, someone uh, go ahead and, and jam some Jalen Hyatt for me on that slate. Or maybe I'll, I'll move the flight to, you know, first thing Monday morning to get back in time. <laughs> um, you know, I think... They they're also playing on Christmas, um. So if if you want to redeem yourself and get back your grinder credentials, you I, I play might be just... uh might be in an illegal state for Christmas, <laughs> so unable to uh to play that one. And you know what? There's just there's only so much uh, showdown degeneracy I can even I can handle, and we're, we're just gonna spend time with the family on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty reasonable. Pretty reasonable. Anybody um, else here who, who sticks out to you? Yeah, a couple a couple guys really quick I had notes on. Um, so Dak has been steadily moving uh, up and to the right, kind of in this echelon of elite uh, quarterbacks. And, and really, like, the way that this chart shakes out, this chart isn't, like, ordering guys or clustering them with respect to, oh, this guy's elite for fantasy this is more like an efficiency type chart and you can kind of put it all together with the size of the dot for like, okay. And then, and then this is, but really what we're missing for like how this would be the most applicable for fantasy production is some measure of volume as well, which we had talked about behind the scenes, maybe making some adjustments to this chart eventually. But at this point in the season, we're, we're pretty, pretty much, you know, past, um, this, this data being all that helpful. We kind of know what these guys are, but I did want to point out Dak has just been on fire enough lately that he's moved into that echelon of those extremely efficient passers like Tua, Stroud, Purdy. Um, the other note that I had just came from watching that Eagles game, um, which, you know, of course, crazy shootout went absolutely nuclear in the second half. But if you watch the first half, I, I mean... I don't know if, uh, you know, the second half is going to taint people's perception of this, but the first half, both of these offenses to me looked like not great, you know, like they, they each showed a lot of, uh, a lot of warts, uh, in the first half. 
And so specifically with respect to, and I wanted to, to make this note for playoff best ball. Uh, number one, like I hope you're not drafting Josh Allen or any bills for playoff best ball because um, their price is egregious and they're only like 8% to make the playoffs. So if you have been drafting Josh Allen, I'm really sorry. Well, unless your uh, name is Liam, then you can draft as much bills as you want. Yeah, you can. I mean, he's got money to burn, man. Liam, Liam's <laughs> got like probably a dozen more years of blindly drafting bills to like get closer to expected value on his absolute sun run with them. So he can, Liam is allowed to draft more bills um, purely <laughs> for trying to get closer to his expected value. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to say was with respect to Hertz, the Eagles have, uh, and rightfully so, a pretty high price in current playoff basketball ADP. This is only a small part of this analysis has to do with the Jalen Hurts knee injury, which I de- I mentioned on a show a couple weeks back that I was I was lower on Hurts on a specific slate because I thought his rushing uh, projection was not appropriately factoring in the knee injury. And on that week, he definitely rushed less and he's he's had less rushing uh, going forward since he's suffered the knee injury. Uh, and I I don't know how serious the knee injury is or if that carries over into the playoffs. So this analysis is kind of independent of that. So you can kind of add that knee injury um, as a plus or minus there, depending on how you think that shakes out for his health in the playoffs. But his passing volume, what he's able to do through the air, if we if we remove the tush-push fantasy value, he's not that great, especially not for the price that he's going at in playoff best ball. Now, of course, the Eagles have really high odds to make the Super Bowl. The way that I think I'm most interested in playing that, though, just – you know, being cost sensitive and being aware of the fact that in games where the Eagles don't get tush pushes for Hertz, his expected fantasy points are going to be drastically lower. Now, of course, they get lots of tush pushes on the goal line. But I mean, you saw it in the first half of this game where the Bills weren't letting them get into position to to take advantage of that on onto the goal line. And they were they were stopping drives short of that. And so I think I'd rather try and play the Eagles through secondary options and not have a primary team stack, especially because they're, they're likely to get the buy. And so I don't want to have to draft a second quarterback along with Jalen hurts. who I'm less than enthused about, you know, relative to his cost. I think I'd rather take Eagles weapons and have them be, Hey, I still think the Eagles can make the super bowl, but I'm going to play the quarterback through the other side of that Super Bowl matchup, if that makes sense. I know that was a pretty long-winded take. So, there. no, no, I, I, I thought that was easy to follow. Um, but the summarize, not interested in Hurts in uh, playoff best ball, and that's because his 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 throwing efficiency has not been great. And then last couple of weeks been actually kind of poor, and if if that because of some sort of injury, then maybe that's even worse. But sort of acknowledging that the Eagles are definitely a favorite to make the Super Bowl, and fading the Eagles is is not a it's not a palatable strategy, even at an expensive cost, just because there's such big Super Bowl favorites. But um playing them through secondary pieces. So like Swift or like Devonta Smith or, or something like that as, a, as something on the other side of your primary stack. And I think that that um, 
and I don't have the finger on the pulse of the uh, the playoff uh, best ball uh, streets as much as you, but that feels like a pretty contrarian uh, uh, stance where, like, he, he was obviously – Hertz was one of the highest-drafted QBs. I expect him to still be one of the highest-drafted QBs. Um, but just looking at his um, at his throwing efficiency, that, that, that's sort of what you're leaning on. Yeah, and and here's you. If you want, we'll, we'll go all the way spicy. I'm gonna I'm gonna leak some playoffs be, playoff best ball alpha here. Um, not not too much because I do believe that we're gonna be having a, a piece come out over at Legendary Upside with some more in depth strategy. But um, here here's here's probably gonna be the way that I play the Eagles in playoff best ball this season. And of course, the prices are gonna change as the playoff picture crystallizes, right? As we get more, more through more games of the season, we know what teams are going to be in what seeds, the prices will change. But I only expect the Eagles to get more expensive, uh, you know, as it becomes pretty evident that, you know, they're getting the buy, that'll that'll drop them just a, a hair, but not by much. Um, and and I, I think that people are going to be excited about them as a, a Super Bowl favorite. And so I'll be fading Hurts at cost, but on the teams that I do take Hertz, what I'm likely going to do, uh, and, and this this is going to depend heavily on how the prices line up, but what I'm likely going to do, you won't be able to get very much Hertz plus AJ Brown, just the way the cost is going right. to line up. So you're going to have a- They're pretty, right next to each other. You're going to have a disproportionate amount of teams that are Hertz, Devonta Smith. And what I actually think is going to be the best way to play this with respect to the field, when I flip all the cards over in the finals, if the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, what I actually want is I want Hertz as my lone Eagle. I want a solo Hertz, maybe Hertz plus, you know, uh, Swift and only rocking two Eagles to number one, help my advance rate through their bye week. And number two, lean into the tush push. Hey, if the Eagles are getting to the Super Bowl, if they are scoring fantasy points, it's at the detriment of all their other weapons because Jalen Hurts is stealing all those touchdowns. He accounts for such a high percentage of the team's touchdowns. And I think between Hurts and Swift, you can damn near account for 100% of the team's touchdowns. You know, you're going to miss the odd one to freaking Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott or whatever. But you got those two players. You have all the Eagles touchdowns wrapped up. You miss the extremely chalky stacks of, you know, with Devonta Smith, with Goddard, and then you show up to the Super Bowl and you don't have one of your five active roster spots filled with one of those players who could have a pretty decent chance to fail relative to the other skill position players in that game. I just I like the leverage that it can give you. So I'm either Hurts with Swift or I'm I'm fading Hurts and going with Eagles secondary weapons. Um, but yeah. And and what's sort of interesting about that is uh, you sort of noted AJ Brown will be a hard would be a hard combination to uh, to hard combination to get with Hurts, uh, and so even if like Hurts falls back to six and, and AJ Brown is still there, are, are you just not are, are, is that a double top that you're you're doing or you're even pushing that into a fade? No, no, I would. Uh... So I'm going to be pretty market sensitive. So it really depends on what I've seen in the market over the course of the contest. And and since these contests can fill and become, you know, like a time box type contest, 
when I play a playoff best ball contest, I, I will pretty much only play if I will max it because I want the maximum amount of data that I can have on what the field is doing. And I'm tracking all of that. And so I, I want to know how many other people could really get Hurst AJ Brown. If it's relatively rare, then I'm certainly happy to double tap that, right? And, and I'm letting the market then dictate the exposure that I get to Jalen Hurts, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And so I, I guess it, but give it contingent on it being rare, you're happy to double top it. And yeah. then on, on the flip side with the Devonta Smith being pretty common, I, I'm just looking at the week to week points. And, and it, it sort of is because hurt, even though the offense is great because hurts get so many of the touchdowns, like a lot of these guys, like they have the big spike weeks, but then they have, um, uh, really low sort of like down weeks as well, and it, it only takes a, it only takes one or two of those in 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 playoff best ball with the the small player pool to 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 really wipe you out. Yeah, so that's that's uh, kind of why I, I feel the way that I do about how I think the best way to play the Eagles is going to be this season again contingent on prices. Um, and then the last uh, playoff best ball take I, I had here was. Lamar is way underpriced right now. We we need to be. I mean, I've I know I've been beating the Lamar drum like all season, but I I'm still doing the Lamar thing. Like this guy, we just saw Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts like go for 35 and 40. Um, like Lamar has that squarely in his range. Like I, I would even say that Lamar is more likely to have those games than Josh Allen with. Just just with like, I, I don't even think Josh Allen's rushing upside this season is close to what Lamar's is just with how much they've limited his volume. And like, yes, that's picked up a little bit lately, but like, dude, Lamar rushing for 100 yards is is not even like that far outside, you know, what you could expect. And, and really, you're just looking at like the Ravens don't get pushed very often. And so I think that's another thing that you need to think about with respect to playoff basketball is a lot of these teams are going to be in situations that have not been situations we've seen very much of over the course of the season. You know, the Eagles are going to play good teams. You know, the the Ravens are going to play good teams. And all of a sudden, they're going to have situations where they can't just rest on their laurels and run Gus Edwards down the other team's throat like 20 times and, you know, coast to a victory. They're going to have to keep putting points up. So, uh, definitely worth keeping in mind um, that some of these teams are going to be in game scripts that are a lot different than the majority of game scripts we've seen for them. And there's no way, uh, there's no chance Ravens can win the bye, right? Or, or like very little chance. Uh, let me let me look at that. I actually think that there is a, a chance still. Um, okay, because I'm I'm sort of looking at it, and I I'm I don't have I haven't looked at it in a sophisticated way as you, but. Just looking at Fox Sports stuff, the Eagles have an 18% chance of winning the Super Bowl, and and or and then the Ravens have an 11% chance of winning the Super Bowl, which I I, I guess they they are different, but they're not that different. It's not like the Eagles are are just like way ahead favorite to win, and, and the Ravens are just like uh like gone by the wayside. Yeah, the, the Ravens um, have an 18% chance of getting the one seed still. It's Chiefs, 
about 40%, Jacksonville, okay. 20%, Baltimore, 18%, Miami, 16%. So it's a, I would say, you know, it's a four horse race still in, uh, right. in the AFC. You're, you're really but they're looking, certainly not the favorites. No, no, no. You're looking for Kansas city to drop a game and then it gets really interesting basically. Um, and so, but I, I, I the way I was going to put it is that the fact that the Ravens are more likely than not to not get the bye, um, and they still have a high Super Bowl probability. Well, then they could they could also be like a four uh, game, like sort of powerhouse. Yeah, the thing I love about the Ravens too is, and this is in current ADP in the market, so it'll change, but. Currently, you can get just some absolute juggernaut picks, like, you know, get a, a really strong NFC side of your build going and then just boom, tack Lamar onto it. And all of a sudden you're like, OK, I got not only teams that have really high probability of making it to the Super Bowl, but I've also got like all the best players. And typically in playoff basketball, what you're doing is I get a couple good players and I get, you know, some teams with high probability of the Super Bowl, but then I get a bunch of kind of more more scrub thin players that I'm building out so that I have a more robust Super Bowl bet in the event that that those teams hit. Um, you know, there of course people that aren't as privy to this strategy are, are going to build teams that are uh, more robust with their raw projected points in the early weeks, but those teams pretty much are, are just dead to rights if they do make the finals because they can't field five players or, you know, by the conference championship, they're all but wiped out because they took too many teams that are going to face each other. So. Yeah, makes that uh, makes sense. And any, anybody else uh, that you wanted to touch on before we, we move on? Yeah. Last guy. And then we can get, get moving to next charts, but CJ Stroud just continues to be, incredible and the Texans are are starting to become more and more willing to pass um which we also can uh we can tease that into your favorite player that we're gonna discuss I believe on the next chart um but I, I think CJ Stroud don't, don't tempt me with a good time <laughs> CJ Stroud is is primed for like positive touchdown regression here it looks like I mean if you look at him and Tua um Stroud's looking a little low on his TD rate um you know, with respect to guys like Tua and Brock Purdy, you know, in, in in Dak Prescott, guys in the similar adjusted yards per attempt range. So I would not be surprised at all if CJ Stroud's best game of the season is yet to come. Yeah, well, here's um, here's hoping. And I will take that cue. Uh, let me... And obviously, I feel like I say this every week, so I'm just going to get it out of the way. Every week is now Devin Singletary week. He's like somehow inexplicably uh, a stud running back. He was like a workhorse. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how he does this every year. Every year he does this. And I need to, whenever, whatever anybody says about Devin Singletary in next offseason, I just need to block it out. And just like, remember, it's been like, the last three years in a row, he's gone from like in in, in not highly drafted to um like somehow like the workhorse for his team by the end of the year. Yeah, his role <laughs> yeah, his role looks great. 
Um, if you drafted Devin Singletary in best ball, you're extremely pleased with how it's it's shaken out. And the thing is, I don't like this. Sure, when Damian Pierce is fully healthy, change a little bit. I don't think it's it's not going back to you know Devin Singletary is you know just the passing down specialist or he comes into pass block like. I'm pretty sure it's Devin Singletary alpha with Damian Pierce change of pace, like bruiser between the tackles back. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's nuts. Yeah. I've got to, got to capitulate to your Devin Singletary love. Cause you, you've been, uh, I mean, you, the drum. you were, you were, I mean, when we were drafting best all teams this summer, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I had to be like, I don't know about us taking Devin <laughs> Singletary here, man, but <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully, I, I I'm looking at my uh, my currently advancing uh, best ball teams, and I'm hoping to get just one Devon Singletary team for for the memories. <laughs> um, other moving moving on to other running backs. Um, Rashad White continues to have his just absolutely elite role. Um, you know, we mentioned him a little bit earlier with respect to like he's kind of the steady Eddie churning out those those usable weeks, um, not as much a spike week type of player, but, you know, super, super high on the usable weeks for him. Uh, Josh Jacobs um, was looking like he might get there on just the raw volume, had a ton of volume in the first half, then breaks that big breakaway touchdown run. And then just like ghosted for (laughs) scoring any fantasy points after that. It was like, he, he just got tired of scoring fantasy points um, but yeah, these, these guys up in this upper echelon of the roles, um, you know, you kind of know what you've got in them. You got those guys that are just like, Hey, great projectable volume players like Devin Singletary, Rashad White, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley. I, I think I'm ready. I mean, we've talked about the decline of Austin Eckler's efficiency. I'm ready to put Eckler in that category, um, he's still he's still less of a volume play because he doesn't really get there on rushing volume. It's more the receiving volume, um, and then of course like the high probability of green zone touches in the event that the Chargers actually have a game where their offense is functional. Um, as a brief aside to that, because I think it is relevant with respect to Austin Eckler, I don't know if you watched that entire uh, Chargers uh, Island game, but man. Uh, they they couldn't move the ball whatsoever on offense unless it was Keenan Allen. It was like, was the play designed to Keenan Allen? If yes, first down. If not, we are well on our way to a three and out unless we decide that Keenan Allen gets the ball before we go three and out. And it was so painful to watch. Like, I, I was watching. It was brutal. My, yeah. I was watching with my wife who had Keenan on her fantasy team, needed him to do something. You know, and I told her, well, I have good news for you. The only way that the Chargers win this game is Keenan catches 20 balls like he he needs. He literally needs to catch 20 balls for them to win this game, because otherwise they're not going to move the ball enough. And he did not catch 20 balls and they didn't win the game. Um, but yeah, it's it was so frustrating because just as a, a viewer, you could tell, like, look, it might sound stupid on the sideline to be like, every play needs to be to Keenan. Like, I I get that he's going to get tired and like, maybe we take every other play off and do something different. But like, any play that wasn't to Keenan just looked like such a wasted play. And then you got the random like Justin Herbert long scramble, you know, but 
But like that was basically it. It's like, did we get a random lucky explosive play to happen because something broke down? Or did we throw to Keenan? And if neither of those things are true, then we're punting. Um, so yeah, I'm I think Eckler is squarely in that category of not elite guys anymore, more so just a play on volume, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's right. Um I'm I'm sort of I'm I just started looking at his um advanced stats here. And on the season, his like next gen stats stuff, like he has rushing yards over expected but then when i look at the sort of stat chasing uh database and 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 the expected point stuff so his uh expected his fantasy points over expected from yardage he had um basically 69 yards more than expected in nice. week one which is pretty nice but then once he came back in week six through week 12 and um, those weeks he's summed to uh fit 15 yards under expected. So, I mean, maybe that, that that's too much trend reading from, from small sample size. But to me, it truly feels like this this is an older back who had an, a high ankle sprain and has not been able to uh, properly recover. Yeah. And, and it, like, it, we saw that we saw this, this, the pace thing where he was, he was running, like, I think it was, like, 18 miles an hour or something like that, like, well below his, like, his his probably what I'd say his his highest pace was last year. Um so I, I, I don't know if I'm leaving him in the dirt for next year, but um soft tissue injury, older running back, slow, unproductive, not not great combinations. You you really need the recovery to go well on in the offseason for next year to work. Yeah, I think next year's gonna be a pretty price sensitive. I mean I was already pretty heavily underweight on him this season just yeah with age concerns and so if we can get him if he goes in like the aaron jones range which i don't think is so ludicrous given the you know the arc of his career if he goes in that like four or five turn range where aaron jones is going that's where i'd have a little bit of interest there just in like that he still has a little juice left and that the high ankle sprain sapped way more than you know we we gave it credit for and that he actually you know those first right. couple weeks were more indicative of what he's still got in the tank. Um, but anyway, I, I did want to ask you about um, another guy who, you know, purely a volume play, not really an explosiveness or, or talent play at this point, unfortunately. But Ramondre Stevenson, with how absolute just dog water trash the Patriots offense looks, they Bill Belichick looks like it physically pains him to call a pass play for either quarterback now, like, you know, Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, like Bill is, is in great pain to see either of those guys throw the ball. So I think that we might just get such a heaping helping of Ramondre Stevenson because they're like, it's, you know, we're at great risk of Bill stroking out on us. If we throw the ball more than 20 times with either of our quarterbacks and we can't do that. So to protect his brain from hemorrhaging, we need Ramondre Stevenson to get more touches. And by extension, I think Zeke Elliott will also get more touches. Do you think that as we go into this, you know, last third of the year, Ramondre might kind of get to closer to like that Rashad White level of he's just super consistent, not really going to deliver much in the way of spike weeks, but it's just 
such a huge he he's getting the Thanksgiving, you know, first, seconds, and thirds all heaped on his plate is what I'm looking at going forward. So you're telling me A, the offense sucks, and so he's been inefficient. And now to compensate for the offense being bad, they're gonna pass even less. <laughs> so I mean, to me, that's just like like just a perfect recipe for like the offense to be completely unusable for fantasy and because i mean if i if i had some belief that uh, this run game could be functional enough that if they just hand the ball off i don't know like 40 times a game that they, that they somehow end up with 200 yards and or, or or like somewhere between 150 and 200 yards and and someone gets a score like I, I guess that would make sense, but right, it, it it's a struggle for me that like if if, if the offense is going to tr- sort of turtle up like that, um, it's a struggle for me to see any real production coming, and then like oh, and by the way, you have to split it with Ezekiel Elliott, um, I'm um, I I, I I'm. Still not feeling great about uh, Ramondre, I have to say. I think that's probably the correct call, right? <laughs> um, I I just was a little optimistic after seeing the good box score this week, and I think that trend is going to hold. I think it's going to be like how few times are we allowed to pass in an NFL game going forward for the Patriots. But I think you're right that, I mean – this already was an offense that was one of the have-nots, uh, as we've <laughs> described them, um, you know, courtesy of, of Ben Gretsch for giving us that little uh, moniker for offenses. But, yeah, they're just even more of a, of a have-not going forward. Um, I've got another running back here that's kind of in that category, though, of might just get such a crazy workload going forward that he's, he's certainly interesting. Um, and that's Zach Charbonnet, who we can see he's creeping up the chart now, you know, with the injury to Kenneth Walker. And I haven't seen anything more about the Kenneth Walker health status on when we can expect him back. Do you have any insight as to, you know, how long we might be getting the Zach Charbonnet standalone experience? Um, uh, I, honestly, I do not. Um, my only guess, would, uh, my only thought on it would be that What's his name? And uh, Pete Carroll is so like unreliable when it comes to injury stuff that it's like it's it's truly like a it's a true it feels like a true mystery box as to when uh, Kenneth Walker comes back. Um, I I think I, I sort of downplayed the injury last week, and and I think I was sort of wrong. I was definitely wrong to do that. Um, given given what I just said about Pete Carroll, um. It, it, it's it's it, I guess you, you're just starting Charbonnet until uh, until you are told otherwise. Now uh, I will have you know uh, that the Coach Speak Index does have Pete Carroll just barely into the trustworthy category uh, on his comments regarding injuries. So if we do get a little bit of an update regarding Kenneth Walker's injury timeline. I'd be more likely to believe that. Um, shout out to 
Pete for getting uh, Coach Speak Index creator on the DFS After Dark podcast. That was an awesome listen, and I know he made that um, free on his YouTube channel. So I thought that was a great one. Check that out. Um, but going back to Kenneth Walker, um, or excuse me, going back to Zach Charbonnet, what I was looking at is even if he is getting the bell cow workload, which he looks competent, like he looks like he can do it in all phases, right? He can run between the tackles. He's got a little bit of burst. He's effective in the passing game. So the kind of guy where when he gets this opportunity for all this work um, should be really exciting, except he's doing it in these, these are the next games for him. He plays the Cowboys on Thursday night. Not, not great. Although the Cowboys run defense is the weakest part of their defense. So I actually think for all you showdown degenerates out there, I'll probably come in a little overweight on my Kenneth or on my uh, Zach Charbonnet come Thursday. Um, but then he goes right back to the 49ers. They just put an absolute ass whooping on the Seahawks. Uh, then you get the Eagles after that. And then finally on Christmas Eve, you get the Titans, which is like, okay, finally a, a matchup where, and who knows, you know, maybe Kenneth Walker's back by then, but it's just a lot of bad matchups, but maybe you sneak a good one out from the Cowboys here. Um, I don't know. What what do you think? Let's just say hypothetically that Kenneth Walker is out indefinitely and all these are just going to be Zach Charbonnet games. Are you excited for him going forward? What's what's the problem? I, I've never been like sort of like a, a big uh, Charbonnet uh, cheerleader. Um, I remember he was, I, I felt like he was only like so-so in college. Like he wasn't awful, but he wasn't like, uh, really, really good either. Um, and I, I, I've definitely, I've definitely seen some like positive like comments and stuff like that. I know there's people who do really like him. Um, but I don't know. It's like, he, he hasn't, has he played well? It, it, it doesn't seem like it. I think it's hard to say because he hasn't really gotten, you know, great opportunity with, you know, getting the full workload. I mean, what we can't really hold him getting just stymied by the 49ers against him, can we? Like, it seems like such a tough matchup. But I guess what I'd seen from Charbonnet and what it, it looks like with what, you know, his play is he's more of a, a jack-of-all-trades master of none. Um, so really... Right. That makes sense. Where he's getting, he's getting the run, and he's getting the, uh, he's getting targets as well. And where those guys really cook is when their offense is super efficient, right? And they're just like, this offense runs a shitload of plays, so Charbonnet is gonna be good. You know, there, there's just enough happening on the offense that, by virtue of raw play volume and him getting so many snaps and them being, you know, in scoring position, he will, he literally can't not be good, right? The problem is the offense is bad. So can we can we hold him being stymied by the Rams against him? That's that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I think it more so just comes back to the Seahawks' offense is bad, um, and so that might be right. The, that's the your problem. Mark against Charbonnet. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think I think we're ready to move on to the next chart because the other running backs I wanted to talk about I think are are best done uh, on the efficiency charts. Okay, and let's let's move on through the uh, yeah the we can skip chart. skip the backups here. And so th this is the running back expected points. 
chart and you have a uh, rushing if, uh, expected points sort of along this horizontal axis and then receiving expected points along the vertical axis and the size of the bubble corresponds to fantasy points over expected <coughs> i needed a cough but i was getting through my explanation before i did you you powered through like a true professional and so of course devin singletary uh, atop the throne in the uh 15 to 20 expected points as you have Kyron Williams. Now, I guess it's worth bearing in mind that we're only looking at the last four weeks. So this is like a four week average. Kyron Williams only has one week in the last four. So th this is just the last game where he had like a monster, monster workload. And obviously he like, he smashed it, it as, a, as a football player on, on that workload too. So love that for him. And you can see that in the bubble. Anybody, anybody that uh, you wanted to talk about here? Yeah, I mean, just to echo the Kyron Williams stuff, I know it's only one game, but it's not that like this is different than what he was doing earlier in the season, right? He always lived in this above 20 expected fantasy points realm with an extremely high amount of his expected fantasy points coming in the receiving game. And with Cooper Cup's injury and, you know, Puka's banged up, like... I see this offense running through Kyron Williams. And so just like we discussed with Charbonnet is going to, he's going to go the way the offense goes. Kyron Williams is the same way, except the Rams offense can be functional. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just, I think Kyron Williams is like for the rest of the season, there's only two backs that I think could finish the season in the legendary category, you know, meeting meeting Pat's criteria of a legendary running back, 23 full PPR fantasy points per game. One of them is Christian McCaffrey, and the other one is Kyron Williams. Um, like, I, if you made me draft for the rest of the season right now, today, I'd probably take Kyron Williams in the top five. Like, is that crazy? It's like CMC, Tyree Kill. CD Lamb. Um, I think that I think that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty it sounds fair. it sounds super weird, so that's why I'm like second guessing myself. But um, and so it's after it's it, it was after week one that um that what's his name um who who's the guy who they got rid of the running back they got rid of Cam Akers. Cam Akers. I was after week. One, they got rid of him. And then week two, 25 expected points. Week three, 21 and a half expected points. Week four, 21.2 expected points. Then um, not so much week five. Um, week six was the one where he got the injury. And then week 12, 24.9. So fair, like like you're saying, firmly in... Um, in the sort of 20 expected points per game uh, realm. And he, he he's important in the passing game and he's getting carries. So in terms of the workload, I, I, I think that's more than true. And then he's actually, you know, he's, he's played fairly well. So uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to get like crazy. I know we did get, we got crazy efficiency. I don't know if we should expect that if we should expect great efficiency going forward, but I think we should expect like reasonable efficiency. And with 
the, in the context of uh, running backs being a mess this year, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I Honestly, I think that's fair. Uh, may, yeah. Maybe it, it, it's like, may, I, I, I want to say it's a touch on aggressive side, but then it's like, oh, who, who do you put in there over him? Like, is Jamar Chase in there over him? I don't think so. So I, I, I have a hard time arguing against it. Just yeah, the way I frame it, it. It just feels weird. But you know what? That's I, I think that you need to remain very flexible in fantasy football and be willing to adjust to new data. And like this Ky- it's not like this is the first week we've seen this from Kyron. You know, he's, right. he's only done this like damn near every other week that he's had the workload. Um, so it's like, hey, enough's enough. I like I I know what this guy is, I know what they want to do with him. And so if he continues to be underpriced in, in DFS, which I'm sure he's going to shoot up. I, I haven't looked at the slate for this next week. But, I mean, while he remains underpriced, you just play him every week. It's like, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, back when LeGarrette Blunt was on his crazy touchdown run and was forever mispriced like that entire season for DFS, you're just like, I guess I played LeGarrette Blunt again. Okay. So Kyron is 7,200 this week. That's still, yeah, so underpriced for sure, right? So you just play it. You, you literally, like... Like, CMC is 9,000 for, for context. Yep. Yeah, Eckler so just, is 8,300. Yeah. Uh, if I if I played uh, Classic DFS, which I am more of just a showdown purist, but if I played Classic, um, I, I'm very, very big on, you know, diversification for risk management purposes, but I do think that Kyron would be a guy that I'd be pretty heavy on uh, this week, so... Um, another player I wanted to talk about on this chart. Um, so like you you mentioned this earlier, running back has just kind of been such a mess this season that really it's anyone that falls into that 15 to 20, uh, fantasy expected fantasy point range is just like, all right, this guy's King. We just play these guys because no one else is doing anything really. Um, and, and this guy is going to just screw with the fantasy football world's head this season. And th- this is going to be the player that messes with fantasy football players' perception the most. And it's Tony Pollard. So Tony Pollard has disappointed pretty spectacularly through the first half of the season. Like people were ready to leave Tony Pollard for dead. He's washed. He's dusty, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Cowboys had played in such strange game scripts where it wasn't really necessary to, you know, have Tony Pollard pound the rock or we can use Rico Dowdle or we don't even really need to run. We're going to pass way above expectation. The offense is extremely efficient though. They only ran 50 plays hang in there, you know, 40, whatever points on Washington this week. Just because they couldn't stop scoring. They just scored too fast. And, you know, Pollard had a decent game and he had a decent game against Carolina. What I'm what I'm seeing in Pollard, and this is me kind of reading the tea leaves and trying to pick out the trend, is the games where the Cowboys just smash, where it's just, hey, they're walking away with it and the game's over before it starts. Those aren't the Pollard games you want. Sure, you could get there on like a random because we saw early in the season he had crazy high expected fantasy points because they were just giving him a bunch of goal line carries and they weren't getting converted. But like you can run into that same game script where the Cowboys are stomping. Pollard gets like six green zone touches, but then he converts. And if he does that, you could still get a smash game from Tony Pollard. But I don't, those aren't the ones I really want to bet on. 
what I want to bet on for Tony Pollard are games where the Cowboys are in the game. Because in this game against Washington, it was actually close for a decent chunk of the game. It wasn't over for, for a while, you know. Um, and, and Pollard still got a good amount of work because of that. And so as you get later in the season, especially heading into playoff best ball, what I really want in my heart of hearts is I want Tony Pollard to have a couple more disappointing games, ideally the most disappointing games, like right as the gauntlet gets released. Like, And then the first couple weeks of the gauntlet, I need Tony to just dud out. I need some real eggs, some absolute stinker goosers, you know? And I will load, just back up the truck and give me all of the Pollard that I can possibly take because I like I have a newsflash. They're going to play real teams in the playoffs. And I, I don't think the Cowboys are as good as their record indicates. They've played a lot of soft teams and they've gotten dog walked by, you know, the one good team they played in the 49ers. They're going to play good teams in the playoffs. They're going to be close and Pollard's going to remain more involved. They won't just be able to pass at will and let CD lamb go crazy for, you know, a buck 50 and two touchdowns every game. So that's my Pollard take. He's going to frustrate people more here as the Cowboys blow out a couple bad teams to wrap up their really soft schedule for the regular season. Then you get into playoff best ball and you get some truly phenomenal performances from Tony Pollard. So, um, just a, <laughs> um, just a question. I, I guess play devil's advocate a bit. It's sort of like a keystone part of that argument. It, our, our foundational piece of that argument is that Tony Pollard remains good. And um, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite convinced that he is so good. Um, I guess what what's the I, I guess the argument that he's not that good is that uh, he hasn't been that good in terms of his rushing yards over expected, like his next gen. And uh, rushing yards over expected has been per two. Like it's not those. It's not just the touchdown stuff. Like the yardage hasn't really been there either. And on an offense that like where the arguments like, oh, the offense been it's been too good for him to get the ball enough. Well, why hasn't it been too good when it's going through him? Yeah, and my counterpoint to that is it doesn't matter if he's good or not. Like it doesn't matter if your running back is good or not because Kyron Williams is like one of the most sub athlete like literal jag players in the NFL and he's the second best running back for fantasy football Devin Singletary like I can beat in a foot race on my best day you know and he's also doing really well for fantasy football like so I don't think that the talent of the running back matters at all um and I you know except on the very fringe cases like does the talent matter for Christian McCaffrey sure because he's insanely good right um but yeah, I don't think it matters. I think the offense matters most, more than anything. And then I also, I think it's probably 50-50 that Tony Pollard's absolutely washed, just unplayable, or or that he's actually still pretty good. Um, and I, I tend to lean more in the camp that he's still pretty good. In fact, his passing game involvement had been down through the bulk of the season. But these last couple of weeks, he started seeing a little bit more work in the passing game. And again, it's the game is like kind of close while he's getting this passing down work or these, you know, targets in the passing game. And so that to me, those high value touches, you know, you're, you're basically saying like the Cowboys don't score explosive touchdowns and end up in the green zone. And Pollard does get 
you know, one or two of those a game. And then he gets his three to six targets. And all of a sudden you're looking at a running back with very squarely in that 15 to the high end of 20 expected fantasy points per game. And I just, I, my, my big thing is a price here because I think that you're going to get a market that's so frustrated with this player. The sentiment is so public and so strongly negative. Like, I mean, if you just put out a, a poll on Twitter right now, you know, with how, how many people are excited to draft Tony Pollard in playoff best ball, like you're, you're not going to get hardly anyone that's excited. Let's let me I'll, I'll pull up his ADP here. Yeah, that, that's just what I was doing. Um, okay. So Tony Pollard, his AP is 16. Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean, and, and so it sounded like the, 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 the way you, you were sort of framing Tony Pollard was that like, okay, uh, sort of admitting that some of the, uh, some of the big plays and stuff like that for him has, ha- hasn't been there this year. Um, and, but ultimately agnostic on whether he's still any good or not, because when in, in close games, his even though even though his EP hasn't been that good in a lot of games, but in close games it will be good, and um, and that at a cheap enough price you're willing to bet on that. Yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, his price looks pretty appropriate in the current uh, playoff best ball ADP. Um, good lord, though, Gus Edwards is way too cheap. People don't get how to play this game at all. This is hilarious. Um, yeah, like, what are we doing? Actually, Edwards- that's a that's a good um, question. I saw that. I think Keaton Mitchell got the first carry uh, for the Ravens, and then I think he he led uh, running backs in touches for uh, against the Chargers. So I, I guess there it. Maybe I'm giving the market way too much credit here. But there does seem like a little bit of a risk here that he's sort of getting flipped. Yeah, I mean, the market has Keaton Mitchell 13 picks past Gus Edwards, though. So it's not right. The market's not doing anything sharp. They're just the I mean, the Ravens in general are grossly mispriced, Um, like, yeah, atrociously mispriced. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown is like probably one of the worst priced players. Um, Travis Kelsey is also really poorly priced. So yeah, there, there's just a couple people where it shouldn't be, shouldn't be going where they're going. Um, and uh, yeah. And makes that uh, makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Um, so I, I guess we, we've covered that. Uh, we've covered Kyron Williams. We've covered Eckler. We covered Singletary. And, um, the last guy I had that, because again, we, we say this a lot, but like most of this stuff is relatively stable. We kind of know, like if we don't talk about a guy, it's it's just kind of because status quo. But one guy that I did have a note on was Roshan Johnson is back to that really good high value touch role that he had in the very beginning of the season. Right. Um, super active in the passing game. Looks good too. Like look, looks like he definitely could be, the best back on the team. Um, you know, I know that Herbert's been really efficient, um, but man, Roshan, number one, he's got that dog in him. Um, there was a great play where Cole Komet caught a pass, really needed some some oomph to get him a first down. And Roshan just gets behind him, 
plants his hands squarely on his tuchus and starts pushing the man for the first down. It, it was like, God, you, you know that when they're watching that one in the film room this week, they're, they're high-fiving each other. Oh yeah. They're clapping him on the back. He's, he's getting all the love. It was, it was a dog play for sure. And he, he had a bunch of stuff like that, man. He's just, he looks like a really good football player. And that's, that's super consistent with what the best analysts and college prospect you know, guys uh, ha- had been saying and what I'd heard with him coming out uh, was that he he's just a really good football player. Like you're going to, you're going to want this guy. And I think that's true. One, one thing I'm looking at, uh, and this is more of a, uh, I don't know how fantasy relevant Roshan Johnson is going to be for the end of this season, like probably fringe running back starter, like definitely relevant on showdown slates, but like, you know, that's, that's probably about it. Um, I'm looking for the Bears to make a head coaching change, and then I'm interested in Roshan Johnson next season. I know that that might sound counterintuitive because, like, when you get a regime change, sometimes they're not as into the guy. Number one, I think he's good enough at football that any regime's going to be like, whoa, we like that guy. Um, and number two, I think the Bears are so grossly incompetent um, on offense. Like, it, it's just like, dude, it, it just looks like, you know, people don't care. Like the, the quality control is despicable with the bears team. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you went there and you got the head coaching job, like there would be less mistakes than are currently happening with the bears offense. Cause it's, <laughs> it is some, it's bullshit, dude. Like watching it is so frustrating to be like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> like how, how is this allowed in, in a real NFL game? Like what the fuck is going on? during the week that this is the product that you're putting on the field. But anyway, that's my, my bears ranting. I got a little tilted watching that Island game. It, uh, it was a frustrating game for sure. And uh, I, I, I know we, we had a comment here about uh, Jalen Warren frustrating to see that he's still not, uh, he, he, he was called a starter, but he's not the starter. And we talked a little bit, a little bit about this. Uh, I think last week where, it's sort of like the same as it's been like they they're they're mixing around with titles where it's sort of like a, a 50 50 split and uh, that that that's they, they haven't given up on that uh, Najee enough to just like completely bench him i don't i don't think it's gonna happen right like you're just no. you're gonna you're gonna perpetually it's it's like the zeke pollard stuff you're gonna perpetually want more touches for the guy that we're all excited about the more explosive player and you're just not going to get them. Um, that's just the way the cookie crumbles here, you know? Right. And that's, that's why with somebody who's like sort of like a, in a backup role, you want to be very careful about the price you pay. Like Warren is somebody I remember sort of surging up draft boards and he went from like a really attractive price to, I want to say, was it the seven or eight round that he, he ended no, up no, in? No, no, no. He, he uh, finished, I want to say, in like the low, like the, the 10th, right around the 10th. Okay. You were you could get him in like the 160s for a while. I, I had, I think there was one point in this offseason where I had something like 60% Jalen Warren or something absurd. I finished around, I want to say like 30%. But yeah, when he was going late, it was like... I, the only reason I didn't draft him was I was like, God, it's gonna be really weird if I find my way to like 100% Jalen Warren. So I should just <laughs> I shouldn't click him some of these drafts. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, m- m- makes sense. I, I I don't know what I was thinking there with uh, I I just I just remember him going up to a price where 
he uh, he was he was no longer attractive for, for his sort of backup role. Um, and I guess it, you're still getting some payoff. The fact that you got him in a tent and, and, and you're still getting sort of like a, what is it, above 10 expected points per game. That, that's like a good outcome. It's just that, I guess, not a sma- the smash that folks were hoping for. No, yeah, I, I certainly think you're happy with with what you're getting from Jalen Warren. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's the same price that we drafted Alexander Madison at forever. And this guy definitely gave you more than Madison. He hasn't had the, you know, the Najee Harris is injured, you know, all uh, Dalvin Cook is injured. Madison smashes a couple games of this right. season, but he's, he's had a couple spike weeks and like, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Warren's best game is yet to come still, you know, still, yeah. still a decent amount of season left. So for sure. Um, so moving on to the second uh, running back chart and, and it's the same chart, but we essentially players who's um and tell me if I'm explaining this wrong. If somebody has a 22 expected points, uh, or let's say 12 expected points per game, and then another player has 13, if we put them both on the same chart, they're going to overlap each other. It's going to be difficult to read them. So what we do is we put the 12, the evens, so 12, 14, blah blah blah, on one chart, and the odds 13, 15, 17 on another chart. That way you get two charts that are readable rather than one chart that is uh, just a, a splash bash of uh, unreadable dots. Yep, Did I get that, that right? That's that's basically it. It's it's instead of it being by their fantasy points, even odd, it's by their ranking by expected points, even or odd. But okay, that's, got that's it. very semantical. Um, but yes, it's it's seemingly arbitrary, but it's designed to uh, try and optimally display the data points so that you guys can actually read them rather than right. give you uh, an unreadable mess. Right. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> week 12 in, and I finally understand uh, our, our, our charts. <laughs> Great. So this is, um, I guess, it's a little interesting that Charbonnet, I know we talked about him a little bit, Charbonnet is still, and, and I think this points to to your point you were making is because the offense is not being great. That's meant that the expected points has still been pretty limited for him. Yeah. And, and this is a thing that this is like the most, um, God, this, this is just like a bad habit from back when I was, you know, a, a wee lad playing fantasy football, but I would comb through box scores, right. And look at what the guys had done in previous weeks, and I would, I would just like assign touchdown variance as I was coming through the box scores, just the like most basic level of like pseudo analysis. Like, well, what if I added a touchdown to this box score? Now, how does it look? Or what if I take away a touchdown for this box score? Now, how does it look? And, and so I do that for everyone and kind of have like a, a weak, uh, you know, range of outcomes for them. I'm like, mm-hmm. could it have been even better for them? And so for Charbonnet, where, the Seahawks suck on offense. They're not being productive. You know, um, they're not sustaining drives. And so in, in a world where they get that shit figured out and they sustain some drives and like, let's just say you get one goal line carry for Charbonnet, a goal line carries about, you know, more or less three expected fantasy points, you know, give mm-hmm. or take a little bit. So I mean, shoot, you give him even three more expected fantasy points in a game. And all of a sudden my guy's like getting close to that 15 expected fantasy point threshold. So 
I do think that Charbonnet is someone where I, I, he he could be surprising. Um, not that the Cowboys defense is like the place you really want to test it, but like couldn't couldn't you see it being a trap, a bit of a trap game for the Cowboys? We're getting real down in a narrative street here. This is what the uh, well, uh, here's a, I think here's maybe a simpler way. If I just filter it down to the last two weeks, it pumps Charbonnet, and and those have been the weeks where. Uh, uh, Kenny Walker is missed. It's 15 expected points per game. And then let me just look at uh, at last week. Uh, sorry, Mike. Well, la- I, I guess last week was 13 expected points. And so last two weeks it's been at 15 with the uh, the Kenneth Walker injury more pronounced. So um, like you're saying, if, if the offense can just play a little bit better, then, then Charbonnet can benefit – disproportionately so that that's sort of your upside case but still still sort of it, i i think it makes it punctuates your point that the offense is the problem for him that he's got got this tremendous role and 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 without the uh expected points to go along with it yeah and i'm uh just looking real quick at what charbonnet's salary is here and he uh he comes in at 6,800 for the showdown slate. So he's below Tyler Lockett, well below DK Metcalf, um, a little bit more expensive than Smith and Jigba. But uh, yeah, that looks like, I I think I'll probably be, I mean, uh, I think some 5-1 Dallas onslaughts with some Charbonnet and the flex to mop up a bunch of like garbage time PPR stuff. Sounds interesting to me. Um, and so I, I, I don't think we can go by this chart without mentioning uh, Jonathan Taylor, who unfortunately announced that he's going to have surgery on his thumb, and they're hoping to get him back in two or three weeks. And then I saw some um, skepticism uh, in the sort of like fantasy doctor uh, intersection of social media where they're like, what thumb surgery has somebody back in two or three weeks? I, I, I don't think it works like that. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I, I'm uh, I, I'm sort of devastated. I, three of my uh, three of my um, teams I was looking to get into the playoffs had, had Jonathan Taylor, so that would be a pretty pretty devastating blow uh, for me. Um, but uh, on the flip side, if Jonathan Taylor is out, if he is done done, then uh, it goes without saying Zach Moss sort of like steps fully back into the role he had before. Uh, when he was getting 15 to 20 expected points per game. And in terms of waivers, uh, he's probably the, the chalk uh, smash play of the week in DFS. Um, so j- just just worth mentioning, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach Moss will be all the way back. Um, and, I mean, God, I feel like at this point with the timeline for Taylor, like – even hoping for like, oh, we might come back in time for the fantasy play. Like maybe he's in time for week 16. Like at this point, you're, you're literally just dreaming for the week 17 pipe dream where Jonathan Taylor has been activated. It's week 17 and it's, it's you and only you with JT in the finals. And you're hoping that he can just ride with you for all the money, which I mean, what a, what a story that'll be if JT comes back for week 17, that, 
that we we might just have to uh, to send the games and boost JT's projection just because of how great the story would be if JT wins someone all the money. Yeah. I yeah, I hope that's somebody as me, but uh, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not feeling too likely right now. God, I I don't know how uh, at this point I'm like just done with the regular season sweat. I'm like, can we just fast forward this to week 17? Like, I, I'm ready, I'm ready for the real. I need more here. serotonin. Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't have anyone else I really needed to touch on on this chart. I mean, we kind of no. Know. I I I think we've sort of covered it. Yeah. I think we've sort of covered it. Um, so on to the tight end chart and. This is uh, tight end routes as a percentage of team dropbacks. And obviously what we want in tight ends is we want tight end them to be running lots of routes. And not only do we want them running lots of routes, we also want them to get targeted on a high percentage of their routes. So on the left-hand side, we've got targets per route run. So you can see that K. Dotton, he, he leads all tight ends over the last four weeks in uh, routes as a percentage of team dropbacks. dropbacks. But he's only targeted on 13% of his um, of his dropbacks, and so that's why he he's sort of leading the the league in in this important metric. But then he's he's, he's pretty average the per in uh, the other important metric, and that's sort of where you get the the K dot and sort of like outcome where he's still not scoring that many points. Yeah, um, I you know again not a ton. Um, that's going to be brand new, fresh takeaways for us on this chart. It's mostly right. wised here. I did have uh, one thing I wanted to, to note here. I mean, Travis Kelsey has had a dip in his production. I mean, it was, it was fine this last week. He put together a couple poor weeks. And I'm I'm wondering here, is this finally the, the beginning of the end? Or if you want to go uh, Taylor Swift themed, is this the end of an era with Travis Kelsey. Um, I I mean, it, it, the problem is that he is older, and this has been this he's gone from a a, a career of few soft tissue injuries to one of many soft tissue injuries. So definitely the um the engine light is on for sure, and. It's still like I, I guess it's still encouraging that uh, his he's up there on the Ruth percentage because I know at the start of the year uh, with with him coming back from injury he'd be super low on routes and then would have to make up for it on a target per run but it I think it is encouraging that he's still out there a lot but then the A dot of just seven point two that uh, that doesn't feel like a Travis Kelsey A dot. No, no. I, I think that we're starting to get the signal that, uh, I mean, and you can kind of see it with, like, normally it, it wouldn't matter that, you know, Travis Kelsey was the only option on the Chiefs. The ball would just go to him anyway. But we've had a couple weeks where it was like the Chiefs are trying to figure out how does our offense work now? And it, it felt like they didn't feel as confident that the answer was Travis Kelsey, whether that's, you know, him dealing with some underlying injuries that we don't know as much about, or, you know, they, they know they're just getting so much attention on him from the defense. They have to go elsewhere. My, my big thing is I want to know, how are you treating him 
for playoff best ball because right now he's got the second highest ADP. Does that seem right to you? Um, you know, are, are you interested? Are you buying? So he's got the, the second highest. Um, say, say that again. He's got the second highest. He has ADP. the second highest ADP. It goes CMC, then Travis Kelsey. Oh, that is that doesn't make any sense. Right? That's what I thought, too. Um, on, like, a half PPR site where there's no, like, benefit to um, being getting a tight end designation. Exactly. Like, I'm... I probably I, I'm leaning a little bit less on the side of Travis Kelsey is done. Like I, I still think the underlying metrics are, are, are Travis Kelsey like, and I, I had a look at the ADOT stuff and that's still sort of in line with where he's been uh, in, in other years. But um, there, there is no, there's no good reason for him to go in the first round or, or the second round. Probably. I think, I think for, uh, just the playoff probability for the chiefs. Um, you know, he probably should still go in the first round. I think actually him and Mahomes should likely flip. Um, and, and it should likely be that, that the chief player that goes in the first round is Mahomes, And then he goes near the back end um, with Kelsey going in the second. But right now, if, if the prices hold, I'll have almost no Kelsey. Um, you know, I'll get the times where he slides um, and then I'll play the Chiefs through other other avenues. But uh, the the other tight end that I wanted to talk about is a tight end who is kind of the new hotness. Um, he, he's certainly been, you know, heavily discussed and, and fawned over, especially by uh, one, uh, you know, specific Bills loving uh, aficionado. And that's Dalton Kincaid. So Kincaid has crept up, you know, with the Knox injury, he's certainly on the field way more often. He's running a lot of routes, taking a lot more snaps. Um, it's got a 19% targets per route run. ADOT's pretty low, though. It's below six, you know, one of the lowest ADOTs of anyone up there. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of do a Dalton Kincaid versus other tight ends for you and have you tell me rest of season – who you'd rather have as your starting tight end. You just got to lock them in. Um, so let's, let's kick it off here. Dalton Kincaid or Jake Ferguson rest of the season. So Dalton Kincaid or Jake Ferguson. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're telling me, um, you're telling me I should just assume that um, the other bills guy doesn't come back. Am- ambiguous. It's oh, okay. Okay. So it, if it, like, as I guess my question would be, and, and, and this is something for, for me to sort of chew over as I say it, has Dalton Kincaid played so well that he's a genie out of the bottle player? That was like, okay, and what's his name? The, the, the Dawson Knox. The Dawson Knox coming back just has no impact on, uh, on Dalton Kincaid coming back. I, I'm, I'm a... As somebody, I actually have quite I, I have quite a bit of Dalton Kincaid in, in FFPC just because of the tight end premium. I'm a little bit nervous about that prospect, um, and I don't think you have that risk with uh, with Jake Ferguson. And you sort of like you put them you you put them 
side by side here. They've got very similar A dots, similar targets per run, similar routes. And the big thing in uh, Kincaid's favor, I suppose, would just be that the Bills, they tend to throw an absurd number of times. And so his counting stats, uh, assuming they all hold, will, will be better. Um, but I guess I'm a little bit nervous about um, Dawson Knox coming back. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I give that I give some benefit of the doubt there, just because uh, it's it's the Bills, um, and and they do have that much more passing volume. So I I think that that's sort of how I lean there. Do they have that much more passing volume than the Cowboys? Am am I just that uh, miss miss uh? Because, because maybe they, you're right. You're right. Not not this year, right? Because they have all the the first down runs. They um they they've been establishing. So I think I think you're right to check me there. Um. Um. So yeah, that I I guess then it, me being a um let me let, let me actually you know that that's that's where I I don't want to just. Um, I don't want to just shoot from the hip. Uh, so who has run more pass plays this year? Just as a sort of, I know well, that look, have run have thirty eight passes at a game this year, whereas I know Dallas for the buy Dallas was certainly below them, but I believe after the buy, their uh, their number of pass plays per game. It's thirty nine for the for Dallas versus thirty eight for the Bills, okay. in just per, per sixty minutes. So, yeah. if I, so, if anything, the, the Dallas are higher, um, and, and 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 I guess that that was just me. I, I'm glad you asked me there because that was just me being lazy because that that's always what I'd sort of like thought. Um, and then I guess the question would be: Do you just think that Dallas stays there? And I, I suppose you have to because you're looking at 11 games of data there. Um, so with all that being said, then then I think, yeah, uh, it's 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 Jake Ferguson, right? So the, the 18th round tight end, better choice than the 11th round tight end. Um, okay, so that's one. That's one we want over Dalton Kincaid. Let's go to another 18th round slash undrafted tight end, Trey McBride. Trey McBride or Dalton Kincaid? Trey McBride or over Dalton Kincaid. Um, that is tricky too. Um, and it's sort of like Trey McBride, he has like the, the, the good uh, targets per run. Um, but you have the concerns that the Arizona offense is it's just like it's spluttering, right? Where it's, it's an offense where Trey McBride and, and, and Hollywood Brown are the, the key receivers. Um, and you have Kyler coming back from the, the ACL. Um, so I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tied there. I, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure. Like, I, I think it's so hard to analyze. Whereas like, if I think like Arizona, like play reasonably well, then it's McBride just because he's so important for them, and um, but it's so hard for me to like to call that definitively. What, what, what I'm, how are you looking at that? That uh... for for that one, I think I'm I'm gonna be heavier 
towards the McBride side. I do think that one's close. Um, but I got a couple reasons. Number one is I, I do think that McBride is the better player and receiver than Dalton Kincaid. Um, yeah, two, I agree like, with that for sure. Yeah, number two, I think that the recent down games that we've seen from McBride kind of feel like his his floor outcomes, and we've seen what his ceiling is, and Dalton Kincaid just hasn't shown us anywhere close to the type of ceiling that Trey McBride has had. As it, And it's not for, like, lack of the Bills trying to get him that ceiling, right? Like, there have been some games where they are just forcing everything to Kincaid. So I just give me McBride because I think the range of outcomes is, is better. Right. But I, I've got an, our next guy, our next tight end, uh, another one that you could have gotten after Dalton Kincaid. Uh, Sam Laporta or Dalton Kincaid? <laughs> I yeah, I think that's that's Laporta, right? Yeah, like, that one's that one's a no brainer, slam dunk. We just yeah, we're in here to twist the knife. We're twisting the knife to the Dalton. Right? Kincaid. Yeah, this was like the Andy Gleam show. We're just getting like, <laughs> on the bills all the time. Um, all right, got another one. This one you actually would have had to take this tight end before Dalton Kincaid. Um, so, you know, there's, there's an argument there, but Evan Ingram or Dalton Kincaid rest of the season. Um, Evan Ingram. Well, they feel like very similar players. That's the same player, right? That's the same player. Like Evan Ingram is more established. You don't have the, the, the potential for Dawson Knox to come back and, and, and just sort of like nuke you. So it, it is, um, it is. And Evan Ingram, but the fact that we just like took a bunch of like late round flyers over uh, uh, Kincaid, that that this isn't a great comparison for Ingram either. No, no, those are those are the exact same player in my mind. Like if you made me pay more for one or the other, I'm just gonna take the one that's cheaper. I don't really care. Um, and then I've only got two more, and then we'll we'll be done with tight end. I promise. Um, <laughs> Dalton Schultz or Dalton Kincaid? Which Dalton do you prefer? Which Dalton? Because because Dalton Schultz has a better quarterback than Dalton Kincaid does. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, do do you uh are, are you trolling there or do you mean that Dalton Schultz has a better passing quarterback than Dalton Kincaid does, and that's facts. I'll take that to the bank. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He he's he's better for his receivers, um, which I I, I think is fair. Um, so I I probably am Schultz. Um, I'm, just, I'm actually Kincaid on this one, and it's just oh for, really it's for the target competition. Um. You know, Schultz uh, in, in games where Nico and Tank are both healthy, it really looks like Schultz kind of takes a little bit more of a backseat. Um, when you're missing one or the other of them, it definitely seems like Schultz steps up a little more. Um, but for me, it's like Kincaid is just how how bad do the Bills feel about the fact that they either need to throw to Gabe Davis or they need to throw to Khalil Shakir on the particular day of the game that they're playing. Um because uh, you know, when, you can tell when they're like, "Jesus, why, why is Gabe Davis running routes?" Um, then they just pepper Kincaid with like an absurd number of targets. So I'm probably Kincaid over Schultz, um, but I do think they're close. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. that is um, that that that's tough for sure. But I I think you're right where um, 
when 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 you have those two back that that that's when you've seen Schultz sort of like fall off. Okay, I got the last one. Last one. I okay. Cole Komet or Dalton Kincaid. Cole Komet or Dalton Kincaid. And I think I think that's Cole Komet. Um where you uh, you have the same sort of thing where like they want to get in the ball a lot, but he 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 just seems to maybe this is just too caveman, but he seems to be better at delivering the the bigger weeks just because he's better at scoring touchdowns. Yes, it's because Cole Komet is better at football than Dalton Kincaid. <laughs> Cole, Cole Komet on an offense with like a good quarterback would be absurd. Um, you know the the Justin Fields plague. Um, and I say this as a man who drafted quite a bit of Justin Fields. Like, it's so painful. And I, I don't know that it's fair to put it all on Justin Fields, but I'll tell you, I've watched, I paid extraordinarily close attention to the Bears this season. And, man, um, yeah, either that coaching staff is just the worst coaching staff in the NFL by a country mile, uh, or Justin Fields is, like, not a competent NFL passer but I think the most likely answer is that it's a mix of both. Um, but I do think Cole Komet is a really, really good NFL tight end. Um, and that- yeah, I agree. I, I, watching the game last night, the thing that struck me was that was more that the game plan the Bears had was just absolutely absurdly bad. Like this idea where like they're just trying screen pass over screen pass after screen pass, like. <sighs> If if you think your quarterback is 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 not the best and needs help, that's what you shouldn't do. Yes, like you sh- thank you. Yeah, I I mean not to go on a Bears tirade, but like I, I'm serious, man. Like if we gave you the head coaching job, it wouldn't be as bad. <laughs> because look, all you do like with the problems that it looks like Justin Fields is having, which is that. He's not confident. Even when a guy's wide ass open, he's just not confident that that's the thing he's supposed to do. Like the system is clearly too complex for him. It needs to be one. Like there should be receivers that are running routes with zero expectation of ever getting the ball. The defense doesn't need to know that. But Justin Fields needs to know that it's a one read and go. Like is Cole Komet open this play that was designed for Cole Komet? No. Don't worry about processing shit because he's he's staring at stuff where it's like this dude's open, but then he's like, oh, but I'm supposed to progress through my reads. And he's just he's freaking himself out, man. And- I yeah, I think last night from what I saw, when they went to like a more traditional drop back passing game, I thought Fields was like okay. I, I thought he was like he was finding open guys. Like the fumbles are bad. The fumbles are definitely bad, but um. I, I I am and 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 what do I know? I, I'm definitely sort of leaning towards the the coaching staff just being like awful. I yeah, I'm not ready to write off Fields yet. Um, you know, I, I I'm leaning more on that it's the coaching staff, but he unfortunately it feels like if the coaching staff doesn't get canned this off season, you might end up with the kind of player whose career just gets sunk. Um, right. You know, like it might. That he didn't get the guidance that he needed. That he got right. coached out of being good. Yeah. So, anyway, that was a a little bit of a tangent from our game of why Dalton Kincaid was a bad pick and why you should feel bad for drafting Dalton <laughs> Kincaid. <laughs> we'll we'll leave the tight end chart here. 
and just gonna <laughs> cross check here um pat fryer mood i know he was he was heavily target well 19 percent targets per run um not the not the highest uh route percentage but i know he, he he had he had the solid box score um but i guess it's encouraging for him that he played well on on the limited snap share and the, as he can sort of work himself back into uh or or rehab his way and and, be, and and get more healthy and, and more fit encouraging that he was like an important part, part of the offense like right away yeah um as a guy who has kenny pickett of one of his most drafted quarterbacks and pat fryermuth is one of his most drafted tight ends if you told me that i could get a spike week from pickett and fryermuth in the playoffs i would be so happy uh, <laughs> so Here's to hoping. Um, also, I need to nix Mark Andrews from this chart. We uh, yeah to, yeah. Um, what what I I didn't want to point it out, but I I, I had the same thought. That's okay. And, That's my my bad. And no, I it was it it. it you asked me. I I should have called it out. Um, before we yeah, when when I I should have looked at it and and and, and um. But I'm, I'm what I'm saying is we we both take responsibility. And uh, so weighted targets per run. And it's like normal targets per run, but it rewards targets down the field more than uh, targets short or short targets that are close to the line of scrimmage. And then we sort of chart that against fantasy points per game. And then the color of the dot corresponds to what route percentage they have. Anybody that sticks out to you on the receiver chart? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I know that Cooper Cup re-aggravated the ankle injury and this season i mean you you start with the hamstring injury misses time he gets the ankle injury and now he's not a hundred percent to me this really smells like uh the beginning of the end and i i've got a little quote that i prepared from a t.s Eliot poem the hollow man and it's this is the way a career ends not with a bang but with a whimper and I may have taken a little bit of liberty with that quote, but Amen. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm really worried that we're, we're seeing him, you know, he's an older player. Um, he's dealing with all these injuries. Uh, I, I'm worried that next season, you know, you still might have to pay pretty, pretty high Cooper cut prices. Like I don't, I don't really see him being able to slide out of the second round right? Like even, even if the fantasy community at large gets on board that the best of Cooper cup is behind us just because of his absurd ceiling in the past. Like, I don't, I don't think he can ever really go that late um, to where I'm going to feel good about the risk right. taking on him. So do you, do you think, Brian, I, I think I, you're I, right. It? What's up? Am I overblowing it? Um, I, I, I think that if you're right that he doesn't go out of the second, I agree with your analysis. So like, it, it's like, it's one of those things where we always come in here and try to make nuanced analysis. And I don't like <laughs> the poem was 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 sort of like I think for like a joke, but your point isn't that 
you think Cooper Cup is done, and, and that, that you bet your life savings that Cooper Cup never plays another down in the NFL. Like that's not what you're saying. I think what you're saying is that with um, ADP and the market sort of like anchored to its prior production, that it will not appropriately price the risk that he has has passed his well past his best as a player, right? That, that's yep. the argument. Yeah, you you nailed it. And and it's not even to say that he can't hit and outperform. Like, dude, there's still so much. You know, like there's there's a good probability that he outperforms. Say he goes in the middle of the second next year. There's still a good probability he outperforms that. You get a he's fully healthy. The Rams offense takes a step forward. They get a couple pieces. They finally have a draft pick or two or whatever. And like they're a little better and cups healthy and he does not quite vintage Cooper cup stuff, but good enough to pay off a second round tag. Right. That's for sure possible. But what I think is also really possible is you get another like kind of lost season like this, where he deals with soft tissue injuries for a good chunk of the year, or even when he's back, it's more of like, not the entirely dominant like Cooper Cup gets everything and everyone else is going to like it type of role, but where, hey, there's games where Cooper Cup gets his 10 targets and does his thing, but now they've got Puka Nakua and, you know, they've got a running back that they're happy to give a lot of work to. And maybe, you know, I, I just, I think that those absolute ceiling outcomes are pretty thin. And I think that the downside where he ends up producing like a, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round receiver is pretty likely as well. And so I think like a more reasonable price for him next year would be like in the fourth round or something like where, where, you know, Keenan Allen was going before he got steamed up, you know, right. Older, older player or less certain about his health and ability to still produce at a high level. Right. Um, I, I think that's a good comp next year. You should treat Cooper cook like Keenan Allen. Cooper yeah. Cup is Keenan Allen next year. And 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 I think that Keenan's season this season is like a great yeah. of like, and it can still hit. It's not that you're never allowed to draft Cooper Cup again. It's just like pretend at the start of this year, Keenan Allen was going in the early to mid second. Like you would have been you would have been all the way out. I'm gonna wait for him to fall, or if he doesn't right. fall, underweight, right? Yeah, and, you just never would have taken him. And you would have been right. Like the specific outcome be damned. Like you would have been right based on the probability, you know? Like, right. So it, it, it sort of begs the question though. Like I'm, I, when I looked up at, when I looked up Cooper Cup's age to see that next year is sort of his 31 year old season. And the players that, the players that Google also threw out at me as sort of like similar age, Devante Adams is older. Stefan Diggs is older. Like, are we, are, should we be pricing in uh, age risk, heightened age risk with those guys as well? I I think that's a I think that's a very important point. And I I actually was doing a little exercise of who were the top five drafted wide receivers going to be next season. And so let me let me give you the five that I kind of got to who I think the market is going to take as the first five receivers off the board next year. And then you you let me know if there's any that you think the market's going to do, uh, and we can go from there. So I think next season we're still going to see Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase squarely yep. in the top five, right? They're young, elite talents. Just had some run bad with injury and quarterback injury this season. 
I don't. I think even though Tyreek Hill is going to be older next season, it's going to be unavoidable. Like after winning, yeah, he just has to be true. He just yeah. has to. Yep. And then I think that you get, you know, the the young ascending alpha. You know, CD Lamb is the new Cooper Cup. This the power slot that Cooper Cup, that role that dominated the NFL and uh, you know was able to accrue so many receptions and yards. Like that's what CD Lamb is playing in the Cowboys' offense right now. And so I certainly think he goes in the top five, especially with the end of this season he's having. And I think that AJ Brown has done it for enough seasons now. Where it's just like, okay, we <laughs> AJ Brown's in the top five forever. Um, you know, and, until he gets old enough that he has his first like fall off season. But I think he's going to be a staple. Do you think those top five are, are pretty reasonable though for what the market does at the start of next basketball season? So I actually did a similar exercise with uh, what's his name with on um, the fantasy football report that Rotoviz do. I think you were on that show a couple of weeks ago. I was, um, I was this uh, Sunday evening and I had it. I, I had four or the five, the same where I was different was I had, um, Amon Ra as five instead of, uh, AJ Brown. I think that's really reasonable. Um, my, yeah, and I was about to say, I think yours is reasonable too. My reason, and I had, I had thought about having Amon Ra in there. My reason for not having him in there is because I'm pretty certain that we're going to get a Jamison Williams explosion here to finish the season and go into the playoffs. And I think that what we're going to have next season is that the market realizes that there's ambiguity as to who the best wide receiver is on the Lions. Not, I think Amon Ra will still very likely be the best fantasy wide receiver for that team. But I think the best NFL wide receiver on that team is probably Jamison Williams. Um, And so I think that that level of ambiguity is going to make Amon Ra a little bit cheaper um, according to the market, which might, might mean that that's, it's finally a year where I can have more Amon Ra because I've been kind of perpetually a fader at his. (laughs) And I, I guess my, my, my argument for having him there is because he is, he is still young. He is still like ascending and like ins- insanely good. Like I, I think that that's like a, uh, to me, it's unavoidable that Amon Ra is, is like an elite uh, receiver. Um, so I guess my, my counter would be that if, if like Jameson Williams also is an elite receiver, then to me, that's just like sort of wheels up for that offense, and 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 might be more good for the both of them rather than like a negative for either. So you'd you'd view it more as like a kind of Miami situation where we had Tyreek Waddle going one two in, in the first and second round. You know, it, not, it, it, not in, in that scenario, I, I I mean, I think we have to see the Jameson Williams like <laughs> yeah. nuclear um stretch. To, to, so I, I still have to see it to believe it. And I, I agree with you that he's really good. And but that that's how I think well, that's what I think would be like efficient. And it it's it's easier for me to predict what I think is efficient than like exactly how other people react. That, that's always what I struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think then we can pretty squarely agree then on our top six. You know, we've just yeah. got AJ Brown, Amon Ra, flip flop. Slight differences. And then I, I think a- I'd have CD Lamb number six just because you're a Cowboys fan. But oh, 
couple uh, guys that I liked as as dark horses to upset the order of the market. Guys that that would be drafted outside that top five or six now, um, but that would would actually crack into it with their performance next year. Um, and so I, I've my my favorite one I, I've mentioned on this show before, but is Garrett Wilson. Um, I just need any kind of quarterback play. And I think that guy's like, like, I, I think top six is like very, very reasonable. I think like top three is squarely in the range of outcomes for him. Do you have anyone else that you think might be able to crack into that elite five or six wide receivers? Um, no, I don't. Like, I, I, I think that um, Tank Dell is like sort of like a, it's, I don't think he's a first-round receiver next year, but I think he's like sort of a, a dark horse where if he keeps playing the way he's playing, that he's going to go really high next year, really high. Yeah, and, I think I think the market's going to be real excited about Tank Dell, and right, rightfully so. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a good call out. Uh, the other one I have is is Chris Olave. Yeah, uh, I, I was just about to mention him too. Go ahead. I just I think he's run a little bad this season is all. Like the the peripherals are still there. Like look at his weighted targets per route run. <laughs> you know, like the guy like he he's had balls bounce off his helmets. He got an unlucky concussion this last game. Like I don't know, man. I you you probably get Derek Carr there one more year, maybe. I I mean like it's not like we haven't seen Derek Carr support, you know, elite receivers before like Look at what he did with Devontae Adams last year. You know, look at look at what you know he did with Amari Cooper early in his career and Michael Crabtree. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that the talent level of Chris Olave is good enough that Derek Carr could get it together with him. So that's another one. And I, I think that's one that I'm actually him and Garrett Wilson. I mean, I think Garrett Wilson, the market probably gets privy to, you know, like, oh, he got a new quarterback, it's fine. But Chris Olave is the one where it's gonna the situation is gonna look mostly unchanged, and so I think people are gonna be more anchored to the specific result we got this season, um, where the actual fantasy production has just been all right. It hasn't been you know the huge breakout that people were hoping for. And I'm, if Olave wasn't hurt, if he didn't get the concussion last week, he would have like went absolutely nuclear. He only had a 55% root share because of the concussion, but he still had seven catches for 114 yards. Yeah, like, dude, dude was going for 200. He was absolutely he, cooking him. Yeah, and so I think we were getting that positive regression there and just cut short, unfortunately. I mean, it could, could be fortunate for, for future best ball shares so <laughs> i'm i'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed that the market uh lets chris olave slide a little bit uh to start next season so and then the other question i, I know we, we sort of touched on keenan allen already but where where do you think he goes next year like after like a stellar season but he's another year older i i think so much of this season and the specific outcome for keenan allen it is like the story of his whole career, right? When when you get the Keenan Allen huge games historically has been like, oh, Mike Williams was hurt or oh, Austin Eckler was hurt. And it's it's just that they don't have another option. And and like 
the the most recent Chargers game we saw like illustrated why it's happening the way that it's happening because they literally can't like the offense won't move if they don't throw to Keenan. So they either lose the game in extremely embarrassing fashion where they just put up like under a hundred total yards of offense and they just didn't throw to Keenan enough, or they lose the game in like more respectable fashion and Keenan gets like 20 targets or something absurd. So I think because you're basically looking for the chargers either to remain so wholly incompetent as an organization where they don't do something to rectify their lack of weapons that are functional on the offense next season. Like if they continue and, and you know, Keenan's the only man in town, then yeah, Keenan probably deserves like a two, three turn price tag where you've got the age risk baked in there a little bit. Um, so he's not going with the elite guys, but, um, and if they add, you know, Mike Williams is healthy and, they shoot Quentin Johnston to the moon and like get a different uh, receiver in there and leave him in, in orbit. Um, then maybe Keenan's in like the solidly in the fourth round, like beginning, beginning of the fourth. Does that seem reasonable to you? I'm just laughing. I'm like if the chargers don't get a receiver who catch, they send it back. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you have them at the, the two tree turn. Is that, Two three turn with no changes to the offense. Um, yeah. But like beginning of the fourth, if they get Mike Williams back or some other some other target there that's competent. So he's um, Keenan Allen. He's second in the league in receiving points, both total and per game, and uh, in, in in PPR points and for among receivers. So like it's like that feels fair. Like it's obviously he is a year older, but when he's played so well and and and, and scores so many points, it's like how how much how how late can you get that sort of production? Like, yeah, that's that's why like it, it feels a little weird to be like, oh, he's going to be beginning of the fourth, even if they get Michael in his back and things look like a more normally distributed offense, but. It's like just knowing that ceiling is there in that player and sure you increase the risk level a little bit, but like, right. need I remind you, we drafted Jerry fucking Judy at, <laughs> at the beginning of the fourth round. Like if you're telling me that Keenan doesn't belong in the beginning of the fourth round, but we're taking guys like Jerry Judy in the beginning of the fourth and Christian Watson, like no, right. no thanks. Like I'll, I'll go I, ahead I and mean, say, beginning of the fourth, I think, is the latest you're going to get Keenan Allen. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's the floor on his price. Um, and, and I, I'm agreeing with you that it's somewhere between, uh, beginning of the fourth and end of the second. I, I think, I think that's right. I think mid third is like, it's pretty appropriate. Yeah. I, I just hope that some chuckle fuck again, spreads the rumor that Keenan is a cut candidate. Whoever, by the way, if whoever was the, you know, uh, patient zero for that rumor, like, <laughs> holy shit. I mean, like, if you actually I salute believed, you, sir. Yeah, if you believed what you were selling, oh my God, like, uh, I, I don't even know. I don't have polite words to say to you if you actually believe what you were selling. Um, but if you were just doing it to tank the Keenan price, like, God bless you, because I got a bunch of, like, fifth and sixth round Keenan off of that. But man, what a hilarious, like, 
just rumor. absolute non-ball knowing level take. Like, I think the Chargers are going to cut their very best player. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. What are you talking about? Sorry, that one just, when I saw that one, Tilting. Ball, that one tilted me. Okay, so I feel I feel like we've sort of covered everything to cover in this chart. Uh, on uh, you, you're happy with me to move on? Yeah, yeah. Let's hit the next one. There's a couple guys here that I had. Uh... Okay, so it's the same chart except we've got the guys who are in between 70 to 85, color coded tree and different ways. Same chart though, and uh, as you can, as we sort of note every week. And Tyreek Hill sort of messes with the uh, the scaling, both on the vertical and the horizontal axis. Yeah, Tyreek is, is something else, man. Um, I don't know if you've uh, started watching the in-season hard knocks for the Dolphins, but I I haven't. Yeah, shame. Man. he's a uh, yeah. Tyreek Hill is. Uh, I mean, they're they're doing a lot to try and uh, fix fix his image, do a little little PR for Tyreek, <laughs> but. He, I still think he's probably an awful person. I don't know. I don't actually know the man, but I, I, you know, do know what I've heard about how he treats women and children in his life. Um, but man, he's totally differently built than other people. He's so, so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't, can't say anything else about him. There's, there's nothing else worth saying. Like the dude is, is like clearly the best receiver in the league at this point. Um, right. It it is pretty insane how fast he is and and, yeah. and and strong for his size. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought that this was a really interesting. Uh, you know, I came upon a, a fork in the road uh, here with Nico Collins Tank Dell. I I just botched that uh, attempt at poetry, by the way. Um, but but we've got the Nico Collins Tank Dell like. Both very similar in weighted targets per route run. Both very similar in fantasy points per game. And I'm I'm truly not sure where I fall on this. I know that the sentiment and that lots of the advanced metrics would point to Tank Dell as being the if you had to pick just one, you'd right. pick Tank Dell. Do you think that's is that correct? Are they are they closer than the market? Thanks. Are, are they truly like as identical as they look on this chart? How do you parse Tank Dell versus Nico Collins? Um, I get. I guess again to go back to sort of like uh, um, the sort of long view stuff. Um, I think Tank Dell was was even even though the size and and and, and the testing stuff doesn't go in his favor. I think he was a pretty he was a pretty good produ- uh, productive college player i need to refresh uh, my memory a little bit um whereas i know that nico collins was a bit more of a, like he had a little bit more struggle in in college when it came to production um so to me with them both being young that's sort of like something along the lines of where i i, I lean on um but it's still it's still like ambiguous enough where um, we don't, you, you, you can't have true confidence in it. And I'm sort of like, I, I want them both, I guess, at this point. Um, I, I think I, I, I sort of lean tank over Nico, but it's like, does that mean that I, I think 
Tank should be in the second, and then uh, Nico is like in the seventh or something, like or or, or like in the fifth or or something like that. I, I I don't know if we've seen enough to like say that definitively. Um, I guess my to to be a bit wishy washy. I I want to vote um slightly towards Tank um regardless of cost, but then um. It, with the knowledge that Nico will likely be a good bit cheaper, he should obviously be like a a pretty important part. I think he he should be a pretty good target too. Yeah, uh, you ready for me to fuck up the market next year for Texans? Okay, go ahead. All right. Shoot. Uh, I don't think there's any difference uh, as far as quarterback play for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Houston Texans. I think that the number one wide receiver on the Bengals is the best of the four wide receivers, but I don't think T Higgins is very different than Nico Collins. And we, we obviously both agree that tank Dell is very good. So I don't see any reason that CJ Stroud should really like leave the fifth round. Um, you know, Burrow Burrow was pretty strongly a staple of like the four or five turn when ADP settled. And, you know, Justin Fields, uh, of course, you get like the elite rushing upside was, you know, in that that fourth, fifth area. And then you got Trevor Lawrence in the sixth, which I I never agreed with that price. That was just silliness. But I kind of feel like CJ Stroud, like the Bucks should stop at the end of the fifth round. Um, And then I I think that likely with some, you know, uh, correlation driving the market there a little bit, you're going to get like a tank Dell probably two two three turn and then you'll likely have like a nico collins basically i bet you end up with stroud settling at like the five six turn and i bet you end up with uh nico collins just like anchored just like attached to the hip to stroud as people try and get that stack and so that's there you go all all three i i think we're pretty close there like i i i I sort of settled a fifth round for nico and and um, so, but you said that you you think that people should be seeing T Higgins and Nico, exact same, pretty 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 close, yeah. Um, I get I have a, I have a hard time with that, but I don't I don't know if that's just me anchoring to like a prior view as uh, of T Higgins. Like I I sort of see like T Higgins as like just the small steps down from like an NFL superstar and like not a superstar, but like an exceptionally good player. And I'm having a hard time getting there with Nico. And can you, and maybe if, uh, maybe I'm the only one uh, who's having a hard time, but maybe, maybe there are others. It sounds like the market is having a hard time there too. Can you sort of like help me understand them? why yeah nico sort of belongs up there yeah i mean i don't so number one nico has we we've kind of perpetually been on the oh gosh if nico just gets a quarterback oh you know like the market's been excited about nico as a prospect since he came into the league um and now he finally has a quarterback and he's immediately elevated and just as a comparison like if, if you didn't know who Nico Collins and T. Higgins were and you just ran into them both on the street, 
they're pretty identical humans. Nico is six foot four, 215 pounds with a 34 inch arm length. T Higgins is six foot four, 216 pounds with a 34 foot arm length. They're the same age. T Higgins is a lot slower. Um, uh, he, he runs a four, six Nico Collins runs a four, five. Uh, Nico has much better burst. Uh, T Higgins is 16th percentile burst. Nico Collins is 76th percentile burst. Uh, and so, I mean, really the, you want to know what the big difference is, is that T Higgins went to Clemson. And so that was like, and, and Nico Collins went to Michigan, not that Michigan's like a, a small school by any means, but like, you know, the, the big Clemson brand uh, of T Higgins is, is strong. And, you know, he had, he was attached to Joe Burrow and he was there before Jamar Chase got there. And so we have all of this anchoring from, you know, previous production from T in the NFL and this is really the first opportunity we've got from Nico to produce with a real quarterback in the NFL. I think they're the same player. I think it's basically the same player. And so, and I, I think- guess my, my pushback would be, um, so Nico Collins, he did go to, uh, he did go to Michigan and, and that did sort of dampen down some of his, uh, uh, receiving uh, his, his overall production. But then he only, I get, he only had like, is is in 2018 it was 23% uh, market share of receiving yards in in his, his last year was 24% and then it was it was a little higher with the touchdown stuff so i guess he ended up with his last year of 28% uh, dominator rating and um, whereas uh you look at T Higgins 16% I, I i'm just abbreviating and I, I know it's just combination and one stat 27% dominator in his in 18, 30% dominator. So even though he went to like a better school uh, or a more like a, a more name brand school, he did have like the better market share numbers. Like his his color his production profile was much better. Yeah, it it, it was better. It's certain like I you certainly couldn't win an argument saying that Nico Collins' college production was better than T Higgins' college production, right? But I just think the the way I'd like to play it is I bet you that T Higgins is more expensive than Nico Collins this next season. I don't think there's very much of a difference at all in the player profiles. Maybe let's just say that T Higgins is better than Nico Collins, right? Like he, but, he, he had a much better college career. And right. What, but what, but, wouldn't you say what they're going to do or what they've done in the NFL is certainly more important than right. Yeah. Yeah. At this stage. And and so at this point we get one season here with Nico where it's like, okay, like this could be a thing. And so I'd prefer to buy Nico next season. I mean, it's probably, it's either the Nico price. I don't see being a stable price next season for the rest of his career. It's going to be one where it was either way too high, and you're right. right. Nico, Nico Collins is just like he's whatever. He's a you know functional NFL receiver, but not a star. And Tank Dell just runs away with it. Tank Dell just crushes, right? Or you're going to get like, oh my gosh, CJ Stroud is him, like he's Timothy Himerson, and Nico Collins and Tank Dell should have been first and second round picks, and so the way that you're rewarded in best ball with like when you're right in a, in a way like that, where all of a sudden you get a player that's way out producing their costs. Like 
I lose so little when Nico Collins just is an eighth round value and I took him in the fourth and I gain so much when he's a second round value and I took him in the fourth. I'd prefer to do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. I, I mean, I, I was probably getting too, like, anchored to, like, a – no, no, he's not too Higgins. But in terms of, like, <laughs> him, him being attached to an offense, a passing offense we expect to be really good, still uh, – he'll still only be, a, I guess, a four-year player. So, um, still rel- – not, not, I guess, not young, not old. And um, potential we're, – we're potentially seeing, like, a third-year uh, breakout – that you there, there's enough upside there that that it could uh, that it could hit. I, I I think that makes sense. I uh, is this? There's no way this is correct. Hang on, I'm verifying a stat. Okay, what if I told you that Nico Collins and Tank Dell are basically the same age? They're only six months apart. <laughs> Tank Dell is like the oldest. Tank Dell is Valus Jones, but he's actually good. You know, where Valus Jones is like the oldest rookie ever. Tank Dell is super old. Um, yeah. But he's he's good. Um, and, and yeah, Phil in the chat says, Tank will go higher because his name is cool. 100%. 100%. But yeah, them basically being the um, the same age, but Tank Dell is a rookie and uh, Nico is in a third NFL season. That That's pretty nuts. Yeah. Um, all right. That was all I really had on yeah. the chart. Uh, I mean like little, little Debo Samuel spike week game, um, Debo lives, but, uh, you know, everyone, everyone knew that we, we knew that Debo still had that in his bag of tricks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing too deep to get into here. And then um, I guess worth pointing out that, um, Rashi Rice, they had that, there was that positive report. That wasn't explicitly about Rashi Rice, where the Chiefs said, "Oh yeah, we want to look at all our stuff, and we uh, we we need to get our young playmakers involved more. We need to to like make sure that they're in the best spot." And then immediately, Rashi Rice leads the team or leads receivers in snaps and routes, and rewards the Chiefs with a big uh, with a big touchdown that um, uh, helps them win the game. I, I think that, that that's pretty encouraging, but th- that's only a little bit of new news. We, we've sort of been dr- banging the drum on Rashi Rice all uh, uh, all season. I uh, I think I think the rice is finished cooking and uh, <laughs> ready to eat, baby. I, I it's ready to, co- to to be added to the main dish. Is okay. Okay, hang on. Let me let me spin you a uh, playoff best ball narrative here um or, or not i should say the playoffs for the regular best ball season is rashi rice the prince who was promised instead of sky Moore? you know this with all the sky Moore hype last season like we were we were tripping over ourselves but are we actually gonna get i mean rashi rice is almost as cool a name as sky yeah. i mean i know that sky Moore is the sickest name for an nfl wide receiver ever but rashi rice pretty good name I mean, I don't know. I could see him smashing in uh, in the playoffs. It, it feels like a pretty sort of like typical prototype rookie uh, receiver where he plays real well at the start of the year but doesn't get the snap share. And then the last six games he gets the snap shares and just like like rips, rips off insane games. 
it definitely feels like the the prototype of that. Like, yeah. it does, I can't think of a better setup for like a uh, a true like scorched Eric playoff run. Okay, and, and now with respect to playoff best ball, can I can I hit you with a, a verbal meme here? Okay, stacking. Uh, this is this is the Drake hotline bling meme, just for reference. Stacking Pat Mahomes with Travis Kelsey. <laughs> stacking Pat Mahomes with Rashi Rice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's the move for playoff best ball. Feels um, uh, feels pretty appropriate. But yeah, definitely. I mean, super, super promising what we're seeing from him. And I kept saying this this offseason uh, about Rashi Rice in my, you know, super basic film bro analysis and just trying to like get up to speed on all the rookies. But watching Rashi Rice and like looking at how he got his production in college, I kept telling anyone who would listen to my stupid ass takes um, that he, to me, looked like slow motion CD lamb underwater. And I didn't mean it as bad as that sounds. Like, it sounds like I'm just saying, like, this guy's so painfully slow that he can't play. But I, I meant it as, like, it would be weird to be like, this guy's CD Lamb, you know? But, like, <laughs> he does In a the lot context of-, of, this comes from the biggest Dallas fan by in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the only way I can comp him to a Cowboys player. You, you need, be you, need incredibly you need the context, man. So, <laughs> so yeah, I was saying he's underwater slow motion CD Lamb, but like they operate in a similar way. Like I, I saw him be successful on similar type of routes that CD was, had like good after the catch from the splash zone type of plays. So that's what I always saw is like, and I, so I, I thought he could fit into the juju role when he got drafted. I was like, this makes all sense in the world. This is like someone in the Juju role that's actually good at the shit they wanted Juju to do. Um, and then they they haven't used him so far. But now I think we're this this feels like probably the strongest candidate for like rookie receiver that you've got to have down the stretch. Is there a different I mean, Tank Dell, obviously. Is there someone else you could think of that sets up to be the better playoff best ball hammer than Rashi Rice? Uh, I don't think there's anyone that says it better than him. Uh, no, I I I, I don't. Uh, obviously, uh, Tank Dell, uh, he he sets up pretty well too, and we've talked about him quite a lot. But I, I don't think there's anybody even nearly close. No, like not not Zay Flowers, not JSN. Although you know we we like what we've seen from both those guys, but JSN's just on a non-functional offense, you know, more or less. I, I have seen. Now that you mentioned Jason, I did see some pretty encouraging quotes where uh, Pete Carroll also said about um, and Jason. He was like, "Listen, he—I think he's our best player. We just got to get him the ball. That—that's like that's why our offense has been bad because we haven't gotten Jason the ball enough." What it seemed like he was saying, which is like pretty uh, encouraging. And yeah, I—I I saw that too, and I—I I do believe that Pete believes that. I'm just not convinced that they have the where it all. I don't, I don't know that they'll actually execute on it. They might believe it, you know. Right, that might be their face. plan. Yeah, we want to get JSN the ball, one extra target. Sick. Right. Yes, let's right. go. Um, historical anomalies in the chat had a good call out. Addison as well could be that good, you know. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm not. Addison. I'm not trying to ignore those guys. 
No, no. The the Josh Dobbs uh, turning back into a pumpkin game was depressing. I I was having so much fun rooting for Josh Dobbs. I like. It's not. Sorry. Before we go too much away from uh, Rasheed Rice, I had one little note that I had on him, and uh, based on your sort of uh, slot stuff, so he actually didn't put his most of his extra snaps uh, in week twelve came from wideout. It was actually one of his lowest slot snap rate of the season, but it was his highest uh, wideout snap rate of the okay. year. Okay. So well, I, I mean, even he was super productive with that. So hopefully the Chiefs are. Uh, so I mean, to me, that's like encouraging in that like they they've like their biggest like issue with him was that he that they didn't see a way to use him in anything else in the slot, and now he's like a they can put him all over the field. Yeah, move, so move like, him around. Yeah, that that seems really bullish. I'm. You you had me on the Rashi Rice train this offseason. I hadn't had a lot until you and I did our first uh, couple drafts together. And then after I had started drafting with you, you did get me on to Rashi Rice. So I came in underweight on him, but I do have you to thank for helping me rectify that. Because I, I got a certain feeling that we're going to want some Rashi Rice, uh, you know, come week 17. I've, uh, I, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. <laughs> Um, last guy on this chart, uh, I mean, I guess, uh, honorable mention Jalen Hyatt. I talked about him a little bit earlier, but I don't think it's very fantasy relevant for this year, but future years, uh, definitely keep an eye on, on Jalen Hyatt. But the guy that I really wanted to highlight here is Jaden Reed, who has got to be close to graduating. I got, I got to think like a couple more weeks, he graduates this chart, um, and moves up to the big boys running, running over 70% routes. Because he's their best receiver. Like, I know that Christian Watson had a breakout game. I know that Romeo Dobbs is all right. Jaden Reed's the most dynamic player on that team. Like, they're they're getting in the ball on end arounds. Like, he's able to get open. He can make plays in space. Like, he's he's able to do it all. I'm a huge huge Jaden Reed stan. Um, think he's I think he's hashtag good at the game. He, he, um. So I'm looking at sort of like the last five weeks of his root share, and he, he's sort of all over the map. Like week nine or week eight, eighty-eight percent. Week nine, forty-five percent root share. Uh, week ten, fifty-six percent. Week eleven, seventy-seven. Then week twelve, seventy-nine. So it's like up here, then down here, then back up, and it's not just like one week off stuff. Like it, it's sort of weird. Um, I'm 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 having a hard time interpreting the, interpreting that, um. But I agree with you that as he plays better, like the, it definitely puts the impetus impetus to uh, to push him up into the higher uh, higher root share. I I think he's following. You know, he, he's not the offense isn't quite as good, and you know, I I don't think that he'll be able to get to the level of production that we might be able to see from Rashi Rice as like his ceiling to close out the ceiling or close out the season rather. But I do think he's really exciting. I think that we're almost in the, uh, you can't put the genie back in the bottle territory with Jaden Reed with respect to the Packers and, and their usage of him. I like, I would say that let's, let's look next week at his usage. And I think that if he's above that, you know, 70% threshold again, 
I think that we're that's done. A, that's seeing, an, a trend established. Yeah, I think we're done seeing him be in that low, you know, like 40 to 50 percent range. And he has he has had that this season where he just wasn't on the field a ton. Um, but I think the team uh, there, there was a quote um, from LaFleur as well, where he said something to the effect of like that. He, he's got that dog. He, you know, <laughs> I, I swear he said he's a dog. Um, and LaFleur I, said, and I quote. He's got that dog in him. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited for Jaden Reed going forward. I honestly wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if in week 17 it turns out to be Jaden Reed is the guy you need instead of Rashi Rice. If if I had to bet money on it right now, one over the other, I guess I'll take Rashi Rice. But I don't even know like if you gave me odds on Jaden Reed, like if you gave me, you know, three to two or something. I might, I might take Jaden Reed. Um, just, just cause I think they're both probably around, around the same. I like Rashi Rice a little better, but I'm, I'm pretty high on Jaden Reed. Okay. I mean, I think, um, and the, the point of the taking the Chiefs player over to Packers player has sort of been like beaten to death. It's been overdone. And, like people will will just like blindly take your grandmother if she plays for the Chiefs, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I I do think in this point in this context it it, it sort of matters quite a bit where uh, they 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 truly are like they're crying out for another receiver and and Mahomes it, it he. he is like he is somebody who makes players better, whereas I'm not sure Jordan Love is, is that. Uh, but I get in the context of like randomness, and is it, it, it if one guy gets the spike week or not, I get that. And um, but I, it does seem like to me that Rice has the, has a decently higher chance. But yeah, that's just I, argument. No, no, I I agree. I I definitely would prefer Rice to read, but I I think they're both interesting. Yeah, definitely got. If I see either of them on my rosters as we get into the playoffs, I'm I'm pretty happy, and I'd love to see them both. And um, yeah, I I agree there. And um, with that, I think we we've ran way way over our uh, uh, definitely yeah. great conversations, but we ran way over our like sort of like a lot of time. We we went uh, super off the beaten path. We went week. for like a 150. Never mind the 90. Yeah, you, you tuned in for the stats. Little did you know you were just gonna get Sack and Drico chopping it up with a little bit of stats. The the chat can have a little bit of stats as a <laughs> Okay. I I, uh, I think we should call it there. Um thanks every thanks to everyone for tuning in and we will see you. Actually, uh, I uh, I'm in Ireland next week. Uh, this is my way of reminding you. Uh, so you'll probably get like a, a special uh, special co host. All right. Yeah. So uh, I will see everyone next Tuesday and uh, we'll have a, a special guest to uh, help me out. All right.